are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hello, happy Wednesday. It feels so good to be a Wednesday. This is Beth, one of the hosts of A Healthier View, along with the one and only Dr. Clitheroe. Thanks for being here with us and tuning in. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Beth. Thanks. How's your week going so far? The week is going well. We're getting closer to Christmas. Oh my gosh, don't even say that. I haven't even thought about that. That's, wow. Yeah, that's a, that seems to be a, um, way far in in the future for me, but I know it's going to be here before we know it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't know about you, but today I'm stepping a little bit out of my comfort zone with this episode because we're going to talk and try and be a part of a solution of breaking the social taboo and having an open adult and raw conversation and talk about relationships, intimacy, marriage, and sex. Well, I think it's an important topic, you know, and yeah, it's sometimes difficult to talk about for some people, but it's an important part of health. You know, intimacy um, is an important part of stress reduction. Of course, it can contribute to stress, but we know that folks that are in uh, healthy relationships tend to be healthier. So I think it's an important topic for us to cover for sure. Yeah, it's a topic we've never discussed before in our show. And I'm excited to have a conversation with Linda Eugen about this. And it's a topic that everyone can relate to. And you know, Scott, I had friends as they made it through the pandemic and lockdown with their partners last year. A lot of them said that they seemed off um, when they didn't have that distraction of work or going out or shopping, and they were only focused on the partners. And a lot of my friends said they weren't totally clicking, and then it became a conversation of them telling me, I don't know how to talk to my partner, I don't know how to share with my partner what I want, or this is how I feel, or what I desire, and here we are. Are are you saying that maybe that during the quarantine and the pandemic, the couples that were spending, you know, most of their day apart were then together and having to spend more time together. That was bringing out issues. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's an, it's an important thing to to go over. You know, we, we know um, that uh, domestic violence reports have gone up during the pandemic, right? I've heard that before. And that's obviously a very bad thing. And it mostly affects women. So um, I'm sure it's all tied together in some way. Well, my hope is to help the world and share some knowledge and remove some of the shame about this topic of intimacy, relationships, sex and marriage. So let's get started. Linda, welcome to A Healthier View. Thanks for having me, Beth and Dr. Clitheroe. I'm so glad to be on the show to talk about this very, very important and necessary topic. No, it's great to have you. I mean, tell me a little bit more about um, your background, just for the listeners who may have missed the first time you were with us. Yes. So I am a YouTuber and a brain education instructor and also a yoga teacher. So brain education is basically a holistic wellness method created by a South Korean meditation teacher named Ilchili. It's a five-step method to help you unlock and unleash the potential of your brain to create your own health, happiness, and peace. 
So I'm basically an instructor on brain education through my YouTube channel, Brain Education TV. Fantastic. You know, Linda, you are absolutely um, not only a friend of mine, but one of my favorite people. You have such a beautiful energy. You're so insightful and you have a one of a kind sense of humor. I truly <laughs> cherish our time together and always have. I have fun with you in person or even just chit-chatting on the phone. You always make me smile. So that's, you know, I'm so glad to learn from you today. But my first question is, why do you think people are afraid or hesitant to talk about intimacy and sex? Yeah, so this question kind of addresses the fact that we have in our society a taboo about talking about sex. But I think that stems from, in our society, we've been receiving the wrong kind of education about sex. Now, if you look back on your school life, when you, we all took sex ed at some point in our, our school, usually around middle school, sometimes high school, But if you think about what we learned in sex ed, it's all just kind of the physical anatomy of the body related to your sexual organs and kind of like the biomechanics of how sex works and how kids are born. So we learn the biology of it, but we don't really learn the emotional component of it or kind of taking sex in like a bigger scope more than just medicine. So I... I think that we have all received some kind of misunderstanding about sex, that sex is something that's shameful, maybe something that's a little dirty, maybe for some people, something that is not something that you talk about with other people. But if you think about it, all of us, Beth, Dr. Clitheroe, me, the the listeners, all of us, our lives started from sex. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Our parents had to have sex for our lives to be born. So sex is just the start of life. And without sex, there would be no human beings. And without sex, there's no life. And if there's no life, there's no death either. So when you talk about sex, we have to not just focus on like, oh, it's bad or dirty or shameful or embarrassing, but On a pure, basic, foundational level, sex is necessary to life. Right. Kind of has a biological basis, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is something that's important. You know, I know it's hard as a physician sometimes to bring those type of questions up about sexual history when it comes to, you know, evaluating a problem. And it really shouldn't. And, you know, I think that Sometimes um, it's, it's just difficult when you don't know the, the patient that well, but I think that also puts up a barrier for folks to seek help, right, in treatment. Yeah, and then a lot of the times people might wonder, where does this desire for sex come from? Because, you know, if we're really honest about it, everyone has this desire to engage in sex and intimacy. So where does that desire come from? Did you know that our basic human desire for engaging in sex and having intimacy is the same desire that makes us want to eat, want to sleep, and want to excrete? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about, so let me explain a little bit further. If you think about excretion, Some people might say, ooh, that's dirty. Ooh, that's smelly. Ooh, I don't want to talk about it. Ooh, that's gross. Which is similar to the kind of emotional feelings that some people might have with sex. But if you imagine if you couldn't go to the bathroom for a week, how miserable your life would be. Yeah. 
So beyond the dirtiness, right, yeah. beyond the dirtiness of excretion or the, ooh, smelly, I don't like it. It's just absolutely necessary to life. Same thing with sex. So the desire to eat, desire to sleep, desire to excrete, and the desire for sex all come from the same root, the same desire. And that desire is the life energy inside of us to continue itself. These things are necessary to life. Sex, eating, sleeping, and going to the bathroom, those all come from the same root for the life force inside of us to sustain itself. So in other words, I want to just lay the foundation that no matter what we've been taught about sex and intimacy, that beyond all of those bad connotations and feelings, it is absolutely necessary and essential to life. You know, you talk about life force, and that makes me think of both, you know, the biology force of life, which has, you know, basic physiological uh, tenets, but also that spiritual aspect. And, you know, tell, tell us a little bit more. You've, I know you talked about this before in some of your lectures online, but tell us a little bit about how you, how you relate the spiritual aspect of our beings with the intimate part of our beings. How do those connect? Sure. So before I answer that question, I want to ask the listeners and then also us who are having this conversation, how does one define a spiritual person? I think many people might have different definitions of what consists of a quote unquote spiritual person. So maybe Beth or Dr. Clithrow, what do you guys define as a spiritual person? I think for me, someone who's spiritual just has a real awareness of themselves and the surroundings and, and whatever they believe in and just having this openness and happiness and peacefulness. I mean, to me, that's a spiritual person. I would agree with Beth and also just a, a, a connection to the divine. And of course, the divine can be many different things based on that person's beliefs. So I feel like it's a connection to the divine. And again, may, maybe that's mother nature. Maybe that's nature. If you're somebody who doesn't believe in, in a God or, but if obviously if you believe in some type of God and uh, um, otherwise um, omnipotent, omnipotent being, then the connection to that. Yeah. So all these people, everybody has their own definition of what a spiritual person is and no one definition is right or wrong. It's just based mm -hmm. on our interpretation. But I would say, and in brain education, we teach that someone who is spiritual is someone who can one, feel, and two, someone who can communicate. Mm -hmm. So let me expand on that definition a little bit. Someone who can feel, feel what? Feel their own bodies, feel their own emotions, feel their own minds, and then also feel other people as a result of that. So when you know how to feel yourself, you can feel other people. And we have a wonderful word for that, which is compassion. So people who can feel myself, my emotions, a lot of people are numb right now in our 21st century era. They don't know what's going on inside of them. They think they feel something, but they don't know exactly what. They don't know how to put it into words. That means you're not truly feeling what's going on inside of you. So feeling yourself and then feeling a connection to other people, that is one. And then communication. There are many times of uh, modes of communication. Someone who knows how to communicate is someone who knows how to communicate with themselves. So knowing what I'm feeling now and knowing how to 
communicate what I need inside with myself, and then also knowing how to communicate with other people outside of me too. So Beth, you, you mentioned earlier that you had some friends who during the pandemic, they felt like something was off with their partner, but they didn't know how to communicate that because they don't know what they wanted. So this is a common thing that most people right now are going through. They think they feel many things, but they don't know exactly what it is. So they don't know how to communicate that to their partner. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And you know, there are just so many layers of thoughts and actions and emotions and quite frankly, conditions that play into making a relationship a healthy and successful one. And I think everyone listening can think of people they've been in a relationship with, even though we're focusing on romantic relationships today, but think about friends or even family members. We all have that one person, that one relationship that feels like hard work, and that can be so draining. Now, I do believe that all relationships require work, but I also think that when you're in a healthy relationship, that work doesn't seem so daunting. I mean, yeah. both parties need to put in effort, of course, but what are your recommendations for people making a beautiful, loving life together, one that can get through tough times and perhaps be even stronger after a rough patch? The foundation for a very solid relationship where people feel fulfilled, both parties, is you have to know what it is that you want. And not only that, you have to know what your inner self-value is. A lot of the times people get into relationships because they want that other person to fill some kind of void or some kind of sense of loneliness or some kind of shortcoming that I feel that I have, you want your other partner to give you some affirmation or recognition that kind of fills your insecurities. And when a relationship is based on that kind of foundation, then it is bound to be unhappy because if your partner doesn't do the things that fill your insecurities and you don't know how to fill your insecurities yourself, then you're always dependent on the other person to give you something that you're lacking. So when two parties are going like this, then that causes fights and it causes misunderstandings, people change. So a big thing that we say is you have to first know your self-worth, your self-value, and know how to give yourself the things that you need. And then your partner too, they also know what they want, what they need, they know how to give themselves what they need. So you guys aren't dependent on each other to fill some kind of void. Mm-hmm. I think that may be that may be the most important point. I hope people take away from this. I mean, I certainly struggle with that too, but I think you have to love yourself. You have to have a sense of self-worth. I think that's a great point because, you know, if you're looking, f- if you're looking for it in your partner all the time, then that just seems to be a lost cause and it's not probably a a healthy relationship. Yes. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of people, they are kind of in that boat where they depend on their partners to make them feel worthy, to make them feel loved. So am I someone who operates from my own self-value and self-worth or am I trying to find it in my partner? I think a lot of the times we are kind of conditioned from school, if you think about it, we're conditioned to get our value from somewhere outside. For example, your teachers, when you're young, you want your teachers to say you did a good job or else you don't feel like you did a good job. 
or your grades. If you don't get that A, no matter how you feel about, I studied a lot, I put in a lot of effort, I really did my best, but school gave me a C. So I think I did well, but school is telling me you suck, you know? So <laughs> we're conditioned from a young age to be evaluated and graded by outside people, by outside things, a system that doesn't care about your own effort, but it just stamps some kind of grade, a letter or a comment based on some random societal standard that doesn't fit everybody. So because we're conditioned that way from a young age, we are always looking for our teachers or parents or friends or lovers to tell us you're good enough, you are worthy, you are loved. And we, we were conditioned so young that we don't realize that this is the kind of system we put ourselves to. So when you, take, when you realize what has been done to your brain since you were young, you can take a step back and see, you know what? I want to create my own value. I want to have my own standard of who I am, what I believe in, and how I love myself and respect myself. And that kind of goes back to the previous question about Someone who has true spirituality and spiritual power is someone who is not subject to the standards of society and, and basing their self-worth and love based on societal standards, but someone who can break free from that and create their own value, create their own kind of standard of self-love and respect. You know, that, that I mean, you talk about conditioning. What about Hollywood, quote unquote, and but now it's more social media. I mean, the young people, especially, but really all of us get so many, we get bombarded about what intimacy is supposed to look like. And, you know, I think some of it is just a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think about that? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. So that also plays a part in the kind of misinformation and the wrong education about sex that I talked about earlier. Uh, if you look at Hollywood, you don't have to look far to see that, oh, it's the beautiful woman and the beautiful man who have this hot, passionate, intimate time. And this is what your love life should look like. But the reality is it doesn't look like that at all. Maybe right. for some right. people it does, maybe. Yeah. but for the majority, it doesn't look like that. But what I think about that kind of image is that it really sets the wrong idea and the wrong information for people to just follow their desires. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing and what sets human beings apart is that spiritual power that we have. And that spiritual power is the ability to kind of not act impulsively on our desires, but to have some restraint. So in spiritual practice and also in brain education, we say that our inner character, every human being's inner character, we are half God and half animal. So what, what that means is we have both qualities that are God-like and we have qualities that are animal-like. So for example, our desire to eat, our desire to sleep, have sex, have a nice partner, have a nice home, have things. These are all desires that even animals have. If you look out in the animal world, anim the males, they fight to have the best mate. And even animals have a desire to have sex. Animals, even your dog has a desire to sleep. Your dog has a desire to receive love. Animals have these basic needs too, just like human beings. So if you look at it from that level, we are kind of no different from an animal. Even though we'd like to think that we're at the top of the food chain and we're highly evolved, 
We have very animal-like qualities too. But what yeah. sets human beings apart is that animals don't know how to practice restraint. They don't know how to control their desires because animals are very loyal to their instincts. Mm. If a dog wants to eat, it doesn't hold back, it eats. If a dog wants to have sex, it just does it. It doesn't hold itself back. But a human being is the only animal uh, living being on earth that can practice going beyond their desires. But these mm. images in Hollywood they kind of just show people just living by their desires. Oh, I see a beautiful person. I'm just going to go after her or go after him. Oh, I see this thing. I'm just going to go after it. So it teaches young kids to just follow their more animal-like instincts rather than practicing that spiritual side to themselves that is more God-like, higher consciousness. Yeah. You know, you talked about communication with ourselves and knowing ourselves. And I always kind of joke around. I don't think people should get married until they're at least 30 because, you know, our, our, we change what we want and we change our ideas. I mean, the other day I had a friend say, where do you want to go to eat dinner? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And something as simple as that, I'm making a little bit light of it, but you know, I think the last stats I read were that as many as 50% of marriages end in divorce. Why do you think divorce seems to be on the rise every single year? Divorce. So when we talk about divorce, divorce seems like a bad thing too. And that's also another teaching by society. But if you look beyond the good and bad of divorce, of course, divorce is not favorable. I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing, but going beyond the good and the bad label of divorce, divorce when someone chooses to divorce, it's because they want to find happiness in their life. Or if someone wants to stay in a marriage and they choose that, it's because they want to find happiness in life too. So whether someone chooses marriage or chooses divorce, these both people want to find happiness in their life. So they're both in the pursuit of happiness. So as a result of that, I think that whether someone chooses divorce or someone chooses to stay in a marriage, we should respect their decision because ultimately it's just a pursuit of happiness. So when, with that foundation, going a little bit deeper into divorce, I think people get divorced because marriage is taken a little too lightly. I think people rush into a marriage without really looking at all the things that go into a marriage or looking very deeply into a person. I'm not saying that everyone is like this, but I'm saying most people are like that. Mm -hmm. A marriage is, is a lifetime commitment. If you think about the weight of that, the true weight of that, it's a lifetime commitment. So think about a marriage like a lifetime business you're about to set up. Yeah. If you're investing in a lifetime business and you don't look at all the ins and outs of okay, who is my business partner, taking out some loan, get a, getting a credit, getting some information about this business, everything that you want to know before you invest money, people do that. When it, when it involves money, when it involves a business, people look at every single angle before dipping in, most people. And, and that's kind of intuitive to do that when you go into a business. You don't just sign a legal contract with somebody from the street you don't really know. So all the careful planning that goes into creating a lifetime business, 
that kind of same attention should be given to when you choose when you choose a lifetime partner knowing who this person is knowing what they like knowing who i am knowing what i like what i need knowing how this person functions and then both of you having some discussions about what your expectations are what your lifestyle is really really getting to know the person that you are basically planning to create this life business with. So Ilchi, something that Ilchi Lee, the founder of Brain Education says is that you get a driver's license before you're able to drive a car by yourself, but driving a car is way less dangerous than getting into a marriage with someone you don't really know. Mm-hmm. So when we have like a driver's license to even drive a car, why don't we have a marriage license for people who are planning to get married? <laughs> yeah. yeah. To see if these two parties are even qualified physically, emotionally, and mentally to invest in each other and to go into something for the rest of their lives. Yeah. There's so much data out there now, it seems like with all the dating sites that are out there, you would think that I'm not sure the state could ever you know, authorize it or enforce it, but it would make sense that... It, you know, prenuptial, premarital screening, you know, just questionnaires you and your partner could go through. I mean, and just say, you know, statistically, y'all's, the YouTube people's, YouTube folks' uh, background is shown to often lead to divorce. And I don't, I don't even know if that's out there, but it, it would be a great study because it sure would save a lot of heartache. You know, I mean, I think that, I think marriage I think that a relationship between two people is important. There's been a lot of health benefit studies about reduced you know, heart attack, strokes, all sorts of things uh, beneficial. But um, like you said, a, a bad marriage is also very, very bad for health. So it'd be nice to have some kind of license, like you said, that was based on some true um, matching data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to talk about falling in love and how that looks like from a neurological standpoint and how that plays a role in falling in love. I mean, chemically speaking, there's so much that goes on inside of us playing in the background when we're dating or falling in love. And I want to talk about the cycle of relationships a little bit. I mean, I know you work with a lot of teenagers, Linda. Um, so what do you tell them? What do you tell people about not letting those hormones take over impulses and how to be authentic to themselves and how true happiness isn't always following those primal instincts and hormones. I mean, I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do you talk to people about staying true to their spirit and therefore creating a path to a successful relationship or like you said, business? Sure. I first tell them that these hormones are not going to stop. Yeah, yeah. And it's not realistic to try to go out into the mountains and meditate for five years to try to stop these hormones because that's not going to happen. So, chemically, biologically, your hormones are going to still fire away. And there are going to be many, many, many times when your desires kick in. And that is all natural. You shouldn't be ashamed about that. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. There's nothing wrong. That's just biological instincts that have evolved through millions of years to keep you alive and keep all your ancestors alive that is kicking into play so don't fight those hormones don't try to suppress those hormones 
But you have to think when those hormones and those desires come out, when those impulses want to come out, you have to ask yourself, what kind of person do I want to be? What is my self-value? What do I want? And you know, the question of what do I want seems so simple that it's easy to just brush it off. But a lot of people don't really know what they want at any given moment. So when those hormones come, do I want to be asking myself, do I want to be someone who just follows my instincts just because I can and I want, I want to live this animalistic side just because I can? Of course, you have the freedom to live both sides, but what is it that you want? I think that's a very important point. You have the complete ability, right, and freedom to follow your instinct or not follow those hormones. You have 50-50 chance, but at that time, you have to really say, what kind of person do I want? And the choices that you make, your conscience, everything that's inside of you is watching you. So based on your decisions, your brain is collecting data about what kind of person you are, what kind of beliefs you have, what kind of actions you take, given what kind of situations. And all of that combined together build up someone's either self-confidence or no confidence, (laughs) self-trust or no trust based on all the data your brain has collected about your behavior. So it really boils down to at the time of that impulsive desire, taking a step back from that emotion and asking myself, what is it that I want? And that goes back to that communication I was talking about for a spiritual person. When you ask yourself, what is it that I want? knowing how to communicate with your body and brain to get the answer so that you can act based on what you truly want inside. You know, I've, I got to bring it up because you know, I have uh, three children and, um, and I have two sons and I've talked to them a lot about consent, you know, and I know that that's a, a big topic nowadays. And I think it's a really good thing from when it comes to women's safety and, you know, when, I'm t- when you talk about a traditional male-female relationship, but um, I think consent is so difficult now. And, for, you know, because, you know, I know when I was uh, a younger person, single, you know, um, we didn't really think about um, the impairment level, you know, maybe intoxication of alcohol or other things, but now it's so important. And I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, it's such a big deal, but, you know, no means no. And, and verbal consent, I've heard, I mean, not jokingly, uh, recommendations that, you know, a, a person should get a verbal, you know, consent. And I think about, you know, in the operating room now, we have timeouts where before uh, surgery, everybody stops what they're doing and they talk about the patient's name, date of birth, what they're going to have done which side of the body they're going to have done, make sure that the surgeon assigned the, the thing, you know, so the timeout almost for sexual encounters obviously seems like a joke and, 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 but yet it almost could be necessary in this time of, 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 of increased emphasis on consent. Do you have any thoughts about that, Linda? Yeah. So before two parties engage in any kind of intimate behavior, you both need to know what it is that you want. And you know, when, when either, either I'm not saying only men <laughs> push, yeah. push themselves onto women, there are plenty of women who push themselves onto men too, right? So mm-hmm. you need consent with both parties. Mm-hmm. But um, something that I think that 
the individual needs to recognize when someone doesn't follow the rules of consent, you should always get consent, but there are people who still kind of throw themselves onto another person, even though the other person doesn't want to. And I think that behavior of not respecting someone's consent comes from that person's insecurity or fear of rejection. Hmm. So if I have some kind of insecurity about being rejected, and if someone says no to me after I express that I want to engage in intimate behavior, then to compensate for that lack of lack of confidence in themselves, they do something kind of beyond like that, do something aggressive like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So when, when someone rejects you or someone says no, then the person who is being rejected needs to realize that this has nothing to do with anything wrong with me. I'm sure a lot of people have experienced things in their lives where you said no to somebody, not just sex, but just no to like an outing, no to an offer. You said no to someone, but it wasn't because any of anything wrong with that person. It was just my circumstances. I didn't have enough money and some, the timing wasn't right. There are many factors that played into me saying no to somebody, not, not just in sex, but in life in general. Can you guys think of situations like this? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. So when someone says no, even in sex, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do that attacks your character or you as a human. So you don't have to feel like, oh my God, this person just made me feel bad about myself. So now I have to do something even, even bigger to make myself feel good. If they say no, it's okay. There, maybe there's something going on within them something about the timing, something about the situation, something that is not a personal attack to my character or me as a person that made them say no. So just respecting that and seeing it as it is rather than having it feel like a direct attack on your character. Yeah. It kind of ties back into that self-worth thing, right? I mean, you know, if, you, if, you're self, if your self-worth, self-worth and self-love is healthy, then that no will not sting is bad right because you won't take it personally you will see yeah. that okay this no doesn't mean that i'm a bad person it doesn't mean i'm not lovable it doesn't mean i'm not good enough it just means that there's something going on in the situation or in her or in him the other person that is just not right for this intimate moment at this time that's okay that doesn't mean that it's never going to be a yes maybe in another time in another setting it could be a yes but mm-hmm. right now if it's no it's okay. You can move on. It's not an attack on you at all. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think a lot of, you know, teenagers need to hear that and, and young people need to hear that. But um, Linda, you are such a wellness guru and I've actually called you for advice. And I mean, I've known you for years. I actually want to talk about sex drive, libido, sexual desire, Um you know, because if we take care of our bodies, if we take care of our spirits and we take care of that, I think we're going to have a higher sex drive and have her have a better sexual life than opposed to someone who doesn't eat healthy, who doesn't exercise. And I mean, I think, you know, low sex drive tends to be, you know, layered and, and fairly complicated for, you know, a lot of people. I mean, things like obviously age, but job stretch, you know, 
images as sexuality, relationships, bad relationships, good cultural influences, and even medical conditions like thyroid um, issues can really cause a low libido or sex drive. Can you kind of go into how you talk to people about keeping their bodies healthy to have a good libido? Yes. Beyond exercising and eating well, which I think most people intuitively know to do to stay healthy, a low sex drive, low libido has direct connection with your second chakra. So your sacral chakra, which is two inches below your navel and two inches inside, that's the energy center of sex in your body. That's also where the the uterus is for women. So that area is the energy center for sex. And that is also the area where we pull our body's energy from. So that's kind of like where the kidneys are, that whole general midsection. So when people are overworking, when they're stressed out and they have low energy, your body pulls energy from that second chakra. So that's why it affects sex drive and libido. So in brain education, we help people take care of the energy side of their second chakra. So the physical is exercising and eating well, that's the physical side. But with the energy side, we do some deep breathing exercises, meditations to focus on your second chakra. So maybe the listeners, if you guys have some time, you guys can try this later, but just sitting straight in your chair at the edge of your seat, placing your palms underneath your belly button and trying to breathe deeply and slowly into your lower belly and holding it there for a little bit before you exhale out. Using your breath, repeating like this, using your breath to charge the energy center of your second chakra. So when I say you have to focus on your breathing, breathing is one of those things that people just take for granted because Mm -hmm. breathing just happens naturally without much effort and without much thought. But you absolutely need to know how to control, feel, and regulate your breath if you want to control, feel, and regulate your life force. Breath is the life force. Mm -hmm. The difference between someone who is alive and someone who is dead is one is breathing and one is not. Yeah. Yeah. So when you know how to control the breath, feel the breath and use your breath to charge the energy centers in your body, primarily for intimacy and sex, the second chakra, then you can recharge your energy inside. And it seems like such a like, how can that help? It seems like a, such a small thing, but gathering accumulating life force into your second chakra will help revive, move energy in your sexual center. I've worked with many people, even older people who have problems. When you get older, your your sexual stamina and your libido is not as high as when you are younger, but doing this deep belly breathing and focusing, meditating in your second chakra. I've seen many people who have revived that side of them because of gathering energy in their second chakra. When your second chakra is low from stress, from just using your body's energy and not charging like this, it's like using a phone without charging it or plugging it in every night. If there's no battery, no matter how good your phone is, it's not going to work. If your body has no energy, no matter how hot or buff or (laughs) beautiful it is, it's not going to work. So Breathing is like plugging in that phone at the end of the night to charge your phone so you can reuse it the next day. 
take some time to take 10 breaths every night to charge your second chakra so that you can fill your energy center, your sexual center to raise your libido. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I'm, I've really... <clears throat> Honestly, meditation doesn't come easy for me. The whole, you know, the, balancing my chakras don't come, <clears throat> doesn't come easy for me. And, but I really know the power of breath. I do know that. And um, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, I truly believe that. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've uh, talked to Beth or heard Beth talk about breathing. And it's really helped <laughs> me in my, in my wellness journey. So yeah, that. I knew that would really resonate with Beth, but thank you for bringing that up. Do, do you know, as we wrap this up, Linda, are there any things, uh, any topics or any areas of intimacy and sexuality that we didn't bring up that you'd like to kind of um, touch with, touch base with, with the, with the audience? I think um, nothing beyond what we okay. talked about, but I do want to emphasize that I think now because of all the social media and all the easy access to information on the internet that our young people, and then also everyone, all ages across the board, we are subject to all the information that is just given to us and choices that are made for us and stories that are written for us that on social media, it seems like only a certain pretty rich kind of people get certain things. And there's so much wrong information out there so there's the dangers of, there's the convenience of the internet era, but then there's also the dangers of the internet era. So now more than ever, mental health is an issue. So mental health, I think, and also going back with intimacy is we, whether it's sex or anything else, I think we now have to find some way to make our own choices and make, create our own worth, create our own self-value, create our own power to change. And if more people can have that awareness and more people can live from that place, then everybody can have more power to make the right choices about sex, have the right ideas about sex, have the right ideas and choices about other things in life too. So find your own value, find what it is that you want, and there's nothing shameful about sex. It's very natural. So please do not fight with any sort of guilt and shame that was taught by society that is inside of you. Wow. What a beautiful way to finish. Great, great thoughts. Um, well, Linda, thank you again so much for your expertise and your time. We really appreciate having you on the show. And this is that time of the show that I'd like you to kind of let our audience know where they can find you um, on the internet and in person, you know, what services you provide and, and how uh, people can get in touch with you. Yes. Yeah, so as I mentioned at the start of the show, I have a YouTube channel. My YouTube is called Brain Education TV. So you could just search Brain Education TV on YouTube and you can find all the videos I do there. I do one-on-one uh, -on -one online sessions too. So if you're interested in anything more in depth about energy work or holistic wellness or chakras or mental health, anything that we discussed here or some contents that you see on my YouTube channel, you, uh, I'm also available for those as well. You can find the contact information on my YouTube, Brain Education TV. That's awesome. And of course, we'll have all that information um, on the landing page too for, for folks to refer to. Well, again, Linda, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be right back after this important message. 
In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents. Kind of different, but we bonded over music and we talked. Honest conversations, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted in my own life. And I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. In whatever you do, talk, they hear you. We are back. Scott, isn't Linda amazing? Oh my gosh, I've learned so much and it's just a, a great um, day when we get to talk to her because I love her spirit and her energy. She just has a great, uh, great aura about her, if you will. I think it comes yeah. across even on just, just on the radio. You know? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I can't wait for you to meet her sometime. But, um, you know, I just, I mean, as we close this, this episode, I, again, I just really want to talk about, you know, our, our physical health and how it relates to our sexuality. And I mean, we know low testosterone, um, isn't just for men. It happens to women too. And I mean, you're the doctor, but female testosterone levels usually peak in the mid twenties and then steady decrease until a woman goes through menopause. But, um, other things that you can do, I mean, eat healthy, have, you know, meditate, do the breathing exercises that Linda was talking about and exercise and make sure you get proper sleep, make sure, you know, I mean, again, poor sexual health and psychological issues go hand in hand, but also, you know, our, the way we feel about our bodies. I mean, people with larger, body mass index, high blood sugar levels, have lower levels of physical activity, just generally feel unhealthier. You know, it's true. And on the, on the male side, whenever I have a patient who um, I see on their medication list, Viagra or Cialis or one of the, uh, you know, erectile dysfunction drugs, I mentioned to them that, uh, you know, classic erectile dysfunction in men is a vascular disease. And that if you have the need to take those medications, there's a good chance you've got underlying coronary artery disease. And so it's really a wake up call to say, Hey, I mean, the, again, the sexual aspect of it is important and I'm glad there's a medicine out there, but this is a, your body's telling you that you're not taking good care of your arteries. Your arterial health is not good, which means you got to work on exercise, diet, the, 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 the four pillars we talk about. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And it, again, it's just a circle, right? A, if you take care of yourself and from a health standpoint, you'll probably have a better uh, sexual function and intimacy. And it just, but then that a healthy sex life and intimacy life ties into your health. So again, everything's connected and it's a circle, um, but it all starts, has to start somewhere, you know, you got to start taking care of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, if you are obese, I mean, and I do know that obese men tend to struggle with erectile difficulty, but Mm -hmm. studies show, and this is good news that losing only a small percent of weight can improve health in both male and female sexual functions. So if you have any questions, um, about our shows or questions about your health and wellness, please reach out to us at info at up to me radio. We will be more than happy to answer those questions for you, have a show about any topics that you're interested in. So I'm really encouraging people to reach out to us. We're here for you. I want to put a plug in for up to me radios, uh, Facebook page. You know, I've, uh, I, I check in or once while to see all the other fantastic content besides our uh, show, which I think is, pretty good but um i think um i'm just blown away by some of the talent that um 
the Up To Me Radio Network has. So I highly encourage uh, everyone to check out their Facebook page. And it's uh, UP Up, the number two me radio network. And and um, check it out and check out some of the other fantastic shows. And yeah, and, and so again, uh, please like us and share us and tell your friends and family about us. Uh, we're trying to get the word out there. And like I've said many times, as a, as a hospitalist, I'm trying to work myself out of a job so that people don't show up in the hospital, but stay out there in the real world doing their thing. So yeah, um, as usual, Beth, another great show. I really appreciate you and thank you for all you do. Oh, and thank you. I, I love doing the show with you. Great. All right. Well, again, everybody, uh, please um, check out the links and the show notes for today's episode and, um, and we'll see you back soon. Mm-hmm.